From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we struggle through more losing guards and with losing a Cleveland legend. On the road, we visit the NBA Finals, the NBA Draft Lottery, and we head to Western New York to wrap up golf's second major of the year. Off the field, we revisit an old friend with another From the Land grab bag. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, how is your case of the Mondays going? Uh, better now, because I, I saw and listened to zero of today's Guardians game and pulled up the score right before we started recording. I'm like, all right, all right. So eh, most of the day, kind of Monday-ish. Right now, feeling a little bit better. Save that for next week. <laughs> I'm already going to predict us one win this week. <laughs> not not too bad. Working on pea potty training, Chip. And he had a much better day uh, than he did yesterday. So I'm, I'm proud that Monday was much better than su- Sunday. There were a lot of a lot of costume changes throughout the day. <laughs> but today he, he only had to do two. So we did all right. Nice. Are you peeing your pants with him like Billy Madison style? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, Miles Davis. Trying to show him how it goes. That's how you do it, man. He has no frame of reference. So all so. the cool kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's good news. I'm glad that Mondays are starting to, or this Monday is starting to look up for everybody. Let's start at home with our Guardians week cap, our look back at the last week of Guardians baseball. And you guys remember that really fun series from a couple of weekends ago against the Angels? That was awesome. (laughs) This past week was not. Guards got beat up, losing two of three from the White Sox in Chicago. And the weekend did not get much better with an extra innings loss on Friday to the Mets. Saturday's rainout turned into a Sunday doubleheader that started with another late game guards bullpen collapse and finished in another punchless game from the offense and a sweep guards finished the week 20 and 26 third in the central four and a half behind the twins scale of one to five one being a single shot to the junk five being five consecutive shots to the junk how many shots to the junk did this week feel like all five (laughs) and like that nausea that goes with getting hit in the junk lingered throughout the entire weekend so burke seven (laughs) (laughs) no uh, all five all five one for each loss especially over the weekend those losses were just just junk punching is what they were exactly junk punching it wasn't just the losing that makes it a five it was the way they lost the games they were either getting blown out or they were finding inventive ways to blow leads in close games and a lot of games that I think we got used to winning last year, those late run extra inning games that they were so good at last season. And this week it was bad. Every time it felt like they were coming up for air, they got stepped on again and it was just a bad week and it feels bad and I'm not over it. So guards are more than 45 games into the season with a losing record. What, if anything, is legitimately broken not just oh it's early in the season it'll be okay they'll come around but something that's legitimately broken and needs to be fixed well it's too easy to say the entire offense but that is true (laughs) the offense (laughs) is broken 
but you know, we're, we're trotting a lot of young guys out there as we have done in the past few years. So I understand some struggles, but, but here's the problem in, in the past week, guys that we need to be consistent, your, your Steven Kwan's, your Ahmad Rosario's, your Andres Jimenez, they hardly, hardly hit over 100 over the course of six games. And and then you, you throw on top of that, Jay Rams having an okay season, but he misses three games for a, a family uh, deal. And that's understandable, but with those three games, we had no chance. Our offense had no chance against the, the White Sox with him uh, not in the lineup. So what's broken, I don't know what it is, man. Like Jimenez and Rosario, these guys need to be hitting 280 to 290, getting on base and running. And for a week where I think Jimenez had two hits, two hits, and he played all six games. That's rough. That's that's Cleveland Guardians catcher-like, and we can't have that seep into our middle infielders. Yeah, I think Rosario sucked this week too. So we can start yeah. talking about trading him again if you want <laughs> yeah. to. Yep. I think we were we were a little bit spoiled last year because what you're saying is we're 40 some games in. When does a bad start become just a bad team? And we're looking at a, a bad baseball team right now. And, and maybe it has to do with luck, but last year, you know, players with they didn't have a lot of experience. They're not playing way above their heads, you know. And we all played baseball for, for a while and, and we know things snowball season snowballs of game snowballs and inning snowballs, a week snowballs. And that's kind of what we're looking at here. The offense is the biggest issue. Not to say the starting pitching sometimes is at fault. The bullpen sometimes is at fault. And when you have all three facets, not in sync, if you get two of the three, you might be okay. You steal games. They're not stealing games like they did last year. Right. And this weekend was, was the perfect example of what this season is where all three lost in late innings and they could have won all three games in last year. Maybe they won two or three of those games. I don't know what's fixable. Mostly. I think we were spoiled last year with a bunch of guys playing above their, their level. And this year, nobody's doing that. The offense is inept. And to me, that's the biggest issue. If you're not scoring runs, you're not winning games, no matter how good your pitching is. I think what's broken and needs to be fixed. Even as bad as the offense is, is the bullpen especially late in the game, the bullpen. I feel like the offense will come around. I think there's a little bit of like what Phil is saying, that there's some young guys that just need to kind of get going uh, a little bit. And I think there's an expectation like that a guy like Jimenez is going to hit and Ramirez is going to get better. And the, like, like the offense, I think, is going to be fine. It doesn't help us at all. And it becomes a problem that even if the offense starts to hit a little bit, if that bullpen keeps tossing up leads at the end of the game, they scored plenty of runs on Friday and in the first game on Sunday to win those games. And they handed it over to Karen check and class a, and those guys could not get it done. Uh, or maybe on Sunday, it wasn't even Karen check. It was uh Sandlin maybe who, who blew that game on Sunday. And that's the thing is I look at the back end of that bullpen right now, which last year was lights out and actually is usually pretty good on a Terry Francona team. I can't see a single guy that I think is reliable. Like I watched the end of the game this evening, um, which will be something we talk about next week. So just pretend like most of it didn't happen. <laughs> but I watched the end of that game tonight and they go to the ninth with a three nothing lead and they put class A on the mound. And it's not the same feeling as last year. I don't know what the fix is. You're obviously not changing your closer. I could see them shuffling around guys in the eighth inning, though, maybe if if Karen Shack can't get the job done. But I think that's what needs to be fixed, man. Like the bullpen, just not reliable right now. And it's going to continue to cost them games, even if the offense improves, I think. 
I'm with you, Chuck, that idea of, is it a bad start or are they a bad team? And I think we start inching closer to this is a bad team this year. And that sucks because it's a really long summer. Yeah. We don't have a whole lot to talk about on the show <laughs> until like July when the Browns come back. <laughs> All right. So let's see if we can find something good from last week's games. How about Gabriel Arias? Played five games last week, hit 313, hit two home runs. Is this guy making a leap this season? I hope so, because both of those home runs were were both oppo, and you're not seeing many guys on this team hit home runs, let alone go opposite field. We're, we're talking about what this team needs, and I don't know if it's Arias, but they need sustained offense from, from someone, literally anyone. Uh, it, it doesn't matter who it is, and if it's Arias – Great. Um, but yeah, like anytime you, you, I see a guy hit a young guy hit opposite field home runs and not in Yankee Stadium, even better. <laughs> that stupid right field. <laughs> I I really liked what I saw at Arias this week. And what I'm what I understand listening to a lot of the games on the radio too, and Hamilton was talking about this, like apparently he is just a slick defender at the shortstop position, like the best on the team. Uh, and all right, like we don't see that, but so how how much longer is a Med Rosario out there if he's hitting one eleven every week and he's a liability on defense I guess so areas for sure um, the other thing you know what don't don't sleep on Josh Bell he had five hits and one of them was a double yeah yeah, yeah he got an extra base hit <laughs> he had an extra base hit there we go right in the meat yeah. of the order Josh Bell yeah. coming through it's on Wednesday actually yeah. on Wednesday you have that double. <laughs> What's more surprising, uh, a hit from the catcher or an extra base hit from uh, Josh Bell? These are not good questions <laughs> to be asking. No, uh, but you you led nicely into my next question, Phil. Is if Arius is a guy who maybe is a young guy ready to make that leap this year, which I think he might be, what position should he be playing? Because is it fair to hope this guy makes a leap on offense and then make him play first base? right field and shortstop whenever you feel like it. If he's the next shortstop, you, you just put him there. You, you do. I mean, I, I like bigger beard Rosario. He's a, he's a good guy, good player, but he's struggling this year, at least not consistent this year. You get him out. And if he's your shortstop of the future and he's starting to come around offensively, that's where you let him play. Don't, don't take away his focus on the game in totality by making him learn a new position, be it a corner outfield position or first base or what have you just to get his bat in the lineup. I mean, I could see doing that to someone like Rosario at that stage in his career, not Arias. If he's your next middle infielder, if you, if he's your starting shortstop, I think that's where you play him on Tuesday. They had four natural shortstops playing at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The question here is with what we saw last year, what's the difference, right? You threw a bunch of guys into the fire, uh, either at their natural position or not. I'm fine with him playing shortstop. If you're not going to get what we got out of Rosario last year, where I questioned him and even this year, even more, what's the difference with the mindset for the organization last year? It's, it's almost the same question for Bo Naylor. Like, what's the problem? Like, if somebody isn't producing, why aren't you putting guys like you did last year, younger guys in those spots to see if they can handle it? And maybe they can't. Maybe it's a six-week run and, and they lose those jobs, whatever it is. But when this team is as bad as they are offensively, usually the guys who are hitting find a way into a lineup. And if that guy's hitting and his natural position shortstop – please put him there. I don't want to see him at first base or right field or Rover or catcher or whatever. Just Rover. get him on the field one way or another, but hopefully in his natural position. 
I think the new rules outlawed the Rover for this season in Major League Baseball. (laughs) It's tough. Rosario always seems to be that guy that at times we love and at times we're really quick to say, get rid of him and move on. There was a lot of talk last year about moving on from him and putting Jimenez at short. And I know that like Francona, that's got to be like his dream scenario to have shortstops all over the field. He's just got to love that. But I mean, come on. If the kid's ready to hit, let's get him playing every day at a regular position and and see what he can do. But Chuck has once again predicted my next move. Bo Naylor was called up over the weekend from Columbus. In the minors this season, he had nine home runs and 32 RBIs heading into this weekend. Should the guards be playing other Nads Naylor? I think other Nads will stick. I don't know if Nads Naylor will stick, but other Nads. (laughs) I'm all for it. When you go 19 days into the month of May before a starting catcher gets a hit, and I know they've committed big dollars to Zanino, and I know we're not going to talk about what happened tonight because good good for him, man. Like, he, yeah. he hit a home run. No, we can. That was amazing. Uh, but <laughs> if you got a guy who's hitting, it's the same thing I just said, about, you know, like about areas. Like, if you have a guy who's hitting, and the organization last year decided to put as many young guys as they could wherever they could. What, what what's the problem with Bo Naylor? Like I, I don't know what it is. If it's if it's defensively, well, it's not like we got great defensive catchers on this. No, roster, we don't. And it's not like these guys are hitting. They're not even hitting their weight. So if you're gonna bring him up, you bring these guys up to play him. It's not so they get the feel for what it's like to sit on a bench. I would assume. Uh, so I'm all for that guy getting some actual real playing time uh, because Zanino. Okay, cool. You're you're paying him six plus million, so you're you're gonna you're gonna ride him for a while. But the who's the other guy? I don't even know the other. He had a hit too over the weekend. I wanted two hits. Damn Gallagher too. Yeah. Gallagher, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd rather have the Gallagher who smashed watermelons catching for us. <laughs> Definitely <that>. better contact, <laughs> right? Did we miss Gallagher smashing pumpkins contact jokes until this far into the season, man? For all this. Time we're shitting on the Guardians. They should be shitting on us. That joke was made. I don't know. Phil, what do you think? Bo Naylor? Other Nads Naylor? Should he be in? Bo Naylor should be in. I I, I get the hesitation because of the money you have allocated to someone like Zinino, but here's the thing. It's, it's not like we're sacrificing offense for solid defensive play at the catcher position. These guys are a huge downgrade from our previous yeah, hole, hole in the offense catcher that were stud defensive catchers, right? If Naylor's just as good as these guys defensively, I'd rather see him up with the big league team learning from Sandy Alomar Jr. on a day-to-day basis. He's young uh, and he can hit. He has nine home runs. That's more hits than the catchers have this season, I think, <laughs> at the big league level. So, yeah, bring him up. I, I At very least, put him into the second position and, you know, maybe you, you get – Zanino out there to get some games throughout the course of a week. Each guy plays three games. I don't know. I'm all for it. Young talent. Let's see what it's got. I don't disagree. I guess the only thing that maybe separates Bo Naylor from what we saw come up last year when they made this big youth push is maybe catcher is different from some of these other positions. You know, maybe they rely so much on their catchers to call games and to manage an awesome pitching staff that you don't want to rush Naylor into something like that, that that's something that takes some experience and takes some time. I guess that might be the argument. I mean, I, I doubt at this point that it's like a service time issue. Like they could bring him up now and play him for the rest of this year. And they'd still have like the full, like five years or whatever is control over him. So I doubt it's that. 
And it's certainly not because of the play at the big league level is, is, is you know, so good that you can't bring them up because it'll, it'll sit one of those guys down. So I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling he's probably coming and he's probably staying because they got to do something to fix that lineup and get some offense from that position. Next week, which started tonight, guards are back in Cleveland. They play three against the White Sox. They won tonight's game. Then they have three against the Cardinals. I have a feeling the White Sox and Cardinals are good teams that had bad starts, not bad teams. Please give me a reason to have some hope that a winning week is coming. (laughs) Well, knowing what we know about tonight already, good sign we 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 pulled another young guy up from the minors and Hunter Gaddis came out there and yeah, gave had us a six great solid innings. Today. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're getting game. five and six solid innings out of these guys that shouldn't even be up with the big league club right now. Um, good news in the background to digress a bit. Uh, McKenzie has on a rehab start. He's been lights out apparently in, in the minors, yeah. but still great. Savali to, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great to see. So hopefully here in the next four weeks, they're up with the team, but so to get through these teams, I'm thinking, um, We've got Ramirez in the lineup every day. That's good news, right? We've got Josh Bell is just ready to explode <laughs> with maybe two extra base hits. <laughs> and I don't know how slow build for that guy. <laughs> how do the White Sox or the Cardinals handle that kind of offensive output? I have no idea. You know what I miss out of this team? Guys like Quan and and Rosario and Jimenez on base stealing bases. That's our yeah. our team's a running team. And when they're hitting a hundred you're not getting many stolen bases because you're not on base. So if there's anything to look forward to this week, I think get these guys on base. Let's start running on these guys, put the pressure on two teams that you might be right. Aren't as bad as their record says off to a bad start, but can we go four and two this week? Let's do it. Come on. The note I have from watching a week's worth of guardians baseball is does, does rock bottom even exist for this team? And I think if we're looking at it. It's, it's this past week. Especially that's the worst loss of the season was Friday night by far. You go out to a five nothing lead, you still lose. But Monday comes and they win a game. So I'm thinking it's got to get better. <laughs> like we're we're <laughs> trending in the right direction here. You start the week off with a win. There's there's no reason they can't beat these teams if they're underachieving. Well, so the fuck is the Guardians? Uh, so who will underachieve less and win these series? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's the Guardians. All right, let's hear it for underachieving less. What a way to end <laughs> this segment. Jeez, thank that should be a t-shirt. I think you'd win the division in our division, yeah. underachieving yeah. less. Right. Oh boy. All right. Well, let's move on from that on a sad note. Uh, we all know that Cleveland Browns legend and NFL legend, Hall of Famer Jim Brown, passed away last week at 87. Uh, and there are n- no shortage of memorials and tributes throughout the weekend to that guy. You you know when a, a name as big as that and a figure as big as that passes, people come out and have their opportunities to say goodbye. Uh, I think a lot of people and outlets are in a much better position than we are to fully capture Brown's legacy, good and bad. So we're not going to try. But what I would like to know is what did Jim Brown mean to you growing up as a Browns fan? That he was the greatest Brown to ever put on the uniform, even though I never got to watch him play. So seeing highlights of him, uh, but knowing him more as I got older, as a guy who did a little bit of everything, not only a really unbelievable athlete, not just football, by the way, but a pretty good actor. Like he was great in any given Sunday in Running Man. Like I remember him more from Running Man, but he was great (laughs) in any given Sunday. And, And really like 
in in the town we grew up in to see that probably our the city's most favorite athlete of all time, LeBron James, recognize him at a game and bow to him before. Like, I don't know if that was a playoff. I, I remember that. And then having him yeah, on stage. That's a playoff like, game. Like, yeah. Right. Like that's how much that guy meant to sports in the city that he's on stage for the Cavs, you know, like parade and all that from all accounts. Like I never witnessed him play other than the highlights. He's the greatest player to ever put out a Browns uniform and possibly one of the greatest players in NFL history, if not the greatest player, but more so that, Unlike athletes today, he didn't shut his mouth. He made his feelings known um, about everything and anything in a civil rights movement. And, and I think that lacks so much now uh, in sports because guys don't want to lose endorsements or, or alienate fans uh, that he didn't care. And it was a much different time back then. And there was probably far less money on the line than there is now for these guys. Uh, so a guy like that, I will I will respect forever uh that his he used his platform and his voice at a time when it was super needed and by the way he was really great at, at the sport he played so growing up a browns fan who jim brown was to me was something that it was kind of off in the distance right there was this understanding and to chuck's point like i saw all the highlights i read the books i you know i would as a little kid i would get books out of the library about jim brown and, and those kind of things it was cleveland's Michael Jordan. It was Cleveland's Muhammad Ali. It was someone who transcended a sport who was not only the greatest player in his era, but potentially the greatest player ever to put a helmet on. And he was part of the Cleveland sports scene. That's something that when we were growing up, we only saw that in other cities. We saw that in Michael Jordan, right? We didn't experience that again in Cleveland until LeBron got here. And at that time, I mean, we definitely experienced it, but sports had changed so much by then too. You know, they're we were always looking at the best player in any given sport in any given time as we were growing up playing for another team and still watching guys and just being in awe of, of their athletic greatness. So, so what I meant from a distance is that person existed in Cleveland in Jim Brown. And I understood that I just never experienced it. And to have someone on the level where from a civil rights activism standpoint, where you, you're, you're sitting at a desk with Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and these guys growing up, I didn't understand that what that really represented, but looking at it now as, as a grown ass man, um, that is, uh, that's amazing because he didn't have to do it. He, he could have just, Hey, I'm the best football player ever. I'm the best. I'm, I'm just going to ride that out and and I'm good. And he would have been, so I, I'm not really sure that I fully appreciate all the positive parts of Jim Brown. I know this is a complicated man, as as many people are, but the positive parts of it, both his athleticism, his dominance, and his voice, it's something that, like I said, growing up, I only witnessed it in real time in players that didn't play for our teams. What I remember was when I first became aware of who he was as a player. And it was when, you know, I'm probably in the third grade or something like that when I start to realize what football is and what being a Browns fan is and, you know, watching games and stuff for the first time and really getting into it. And my older brother was a few years ahead of me and was already into it. And so he had already kind of become like a like a historian, so to speak, for me about who who the Browns were and who the players were. And he loved Jim Brown, by far his favorite football player ever, I am sure. And I remember him talking to me about it. And I think it, it's a little bit what you were saying, Phil, that there was a lot of pride in being a Cleveland fan and knowing that Jim Brown was out there and everybody thought he was the best. No matter how old they were, we're going to argue, no matter where they were from, that Jim Brown was the best ever and he was our guy. 
and, and he was he was our player. I remember thinking it was really strange when I first started to learn about it that his na- last name was Brown and the team's name was the Browns. Yeah. Like that seems like an unusual coincidence. <laughs> How did that happen? But I, I think I remember that pride in learning, like, wait a minute, you're telling me that maybe the best player in the history of the NFL was one of our guys. I remember that feeling special when I was a little kid. So obviously losing an icon of sports and so much more in our city this weekend. So all of our best to the Brown family and all of Brown's nation as, as they mourn the passing of Jim Brown. But on that note, fellas, we're going to take our first break. We're going to come back. We're going to head out on the road, talk some basketball and some golf. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We're going to head out on the road. NBA Conference Finals. Chuck, last week you predicted a Celtics-Lakers <laughs> final. <laughs> the Celtics are down 3-0, and moments ago we watched the Lakers get eliminated and swept by the Denver Nuggets. Let's look in the East. Start with that Boston-Miami series. Boston down three to the Heat. These same Miami Heat that about a month ago lost the first playing game to the Hawks. How in the heck did they get from there to where they are now? What the hell is going on? How are the Heat so thoroughly in control of this series with the Celtics? I don't know. Like I've, <laughs> I've, you can check my tape for like the last two months, and I say they're a tough matchup for anybody, uh, and that's about as far as I can go with them. They're missing two of their really great players. They're playing undrafted guys who are playing out of their minds, and and maybe. I'm just wrong a lot. That's probably what I'm finding out. <laughs> Clearly, it's the locker room presence of Kevin Love is, no, is really no. what it comes down to. <laughs> no, I have no idea, man. Like I it's amazing to watch. Like these guys, it's every so often you get these teams in sports that just as a big F you to the media, right? Like you, you gave us zero chance. And whatever the dog is that's in these guys, like Jimmy Butler and Bam, these guys, like they're, they just are unstoppable right now. Like, I don't, it's not even close. The Celtics look like they're just shell shocked. Like they're, they're done. They're, they're done. They were done after the first quarter of that game the other day. I think Jalen Brown from the Celtics summed it up best in a quote after the last game, which I thought was hilarious. His quote is Gabe Vincent, Martin, Struess, Duncan Robinson, Guys that we should be able to keep under control control are playing their ass off. And I think Jalen Brown is 100% right because the Celtics are getting beat by a bunch of dudes you've never heard of and Bam and Butler. And that's it. It's amazing to me because I think going into the playoffs, we would have all said the Celtics are the deepest team in the East. They can run out like eight or nine really quality players. And somehow it's not happening. Like the the Heat are proving to be a deeper team with a more effective bench than the Celtics have been in this series. And it's a complete change from where the Heat was during the season at the beginning of the playoffs in that play-in to where they are now. It's really remarkable. This is one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA, and the Celtics are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. And the Heat are kicking the shit out of them almost every game. Uh, it's crazy. Are the Celtics getting swept? I think they are. I think they're done. Like I, I think 
I watched that team in that game the other day in the third game where they they gave up in a playoff game. It it's not you know November or January even in the regular season. This team, while they were down, you know, at the time it, it didn't get stretched to the thirty point lead, but they were down a ton. They were down like twenty points, and they they flat out gave up. Like it looked bad, and you could see it. Um, so I I think they have been uh, broken, and they're going down in four. I think the game's in Miami, right? I think, mm-hmm. yeah. It is. Yep. Well, yeah. Yeah, this is what happens <laughs> yeah. when you lose the first yeah. two at home. I guess I'd be okay with, with it um, now that the other series is wrapped up. Let's just get to the finals. If Jimmy Butler continues to play like the greatest playoff basketball player of all time, what a stud he's been uh, when he was challenged last game. I can't remember the guy. He just embarrassed him after that. Um, Grant Williams. Yeah. Way to go. Way to go, Grant. The guy that said he was going to make make both of them against yeah, the Cavs and, yeah, and then missed them yeah, both at the yeah. end. That guy stinks. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, when Phil's right, like watching that game, the Celtics just flat out quit. Uh, and not just with our eyes. When you have Barkley and the rest of those dudes from TNT saying, like, these dudes quit, that, that series is, is over. Um, but I always say the wrong thing. Uh, the, the, heat, the Heat should win. I'm just gonna leave it at that, and then next week you can't throw it in my face when Boston comes all the way back to force a game seven. <laughs> Wait until we go off the field. I'm talking about throwing it back at you. <laughs> I think the Celtics are done. I just don't think that they're going into Miami and and winning a game the way they've looked so far. I almost think there's a chance their coach doesn't make it to that game. Like, I know the teams like to wait until after the season to fire their coaches. It's possible the Celtics fire their coach uh, before game four just because this has been a rotten effort by that team. I don't see how you can't consider part of it the responsibility of this coach, just not getting these guys into positions to beat a far less talented team than they are. I don't know. I think at the end of this NBA season, the biggest surprise is going to be the fact that the Celtics – got blown out in this series by the heat take a quick look out west like i said the lakers just lost a tight game four to the nuggets they are eliminated nuggets going on to the final nuggets looked good the entire series all the games were pretty close but the lakers just could never close any of them out are the nuggets that good or did the lakers just run out of gas i think the nuggets are that good Typically, where we're at, we probably don't see a lot of Nuggets games until the playoffs. And Joker, man, dude, like focusing on his passing alone in this, like a guy that big shouldn't be that good at passing. Um, yeah, and they're and Jamal Murray's had a great series too. Had a, had a, a fantastic series, and they're a deep team in there. Michael Porter had a great series too. I think the Nuggets are just that good, and we don't expect it from a, a mid-sized market team like that's comparable to the Cavs uh, to go into Showtime Lakers and just, again, close games, four close games that could have went either way. Uh, but when you have the pedigree, I guess, of Denver to close those games out and the Lakers just didn't, congrats to them. It, it seemed harder, uh, but it, it probably wasn't as hard as, as watching those close games. They probably beat them pretty badly, in my opinion. I, I think the Nuggets are just that good. Like they playoff Jamal Murray is unstoppable. He, he's the nuggets are what the Cavs should have been this year. Their starting five score a hundred points a game. They, they, they go two or three yeah. players on the, on the bench. 
but their starting five score a hundred points plus. I think tonight I was just looking at this. They scored, yeah, they scored a hundred and quick math here, 105. Wow. Their 113 points came from their starting five. And it was evenly distributed. I mean, Jokic had 30. That's what you expect out of that guy, right? But then everyone yeah. else, you're talking 15 to 20 some points. It's exactly the way we wanted to see the Cavs play. So they don't have a super deep bench. But to your point earlier, uh, several weeks ago, Gerbs, is maybe it's more important to have really good starting five. Uh, and they're, they're going to ride this out. That's a good team, one through five for sure. I like that Phil turned a review of the Nuggets-Lakers series into a reason to be hopeful for the Cavs next year. <laughs> yeah. All we got to do is get our starters to score 100, man, and look at where we'll be. This will be fantastic. We can do this. I, I would never take anything away from the Nuggets. They really are a good team. They've been doing it the entire season. They've done it well in the playoffs. I'm stunned that they were able to run the Lakers off the court like this and, and beat them in four games because the Lakers were playing really, really well when they came out of that series against Golden State. And I thought they had more than this in them. And so I think, well, the Nuggets are really good. I think the Lakers ran out of gas. I think LeBron could not, no matter what he did, it was never going to be enough. He couldn't carry them the way that he has carried Cavs teams in the past. And I don't know if maybe Davis wasn't up for the challenge or maybe he was tired too. I don't know. Uh, the Lakers just didn't, they just didn't quite have enough to finish any of these games. And that's why they lost tough, but uh, nuggets are going to be a tough matchup in the finals and are probably crossing their fingers and hoping the Celtics go on a run and uh, stretch that one to seven while they go home to Denver and, and rest but I don't think that's going to happen. We'll move on from talking about the playoffs to talk about the lottery. NBA's draft lottery was last week. Spurs were the big winner, grabbing the number one spot for the first time since 1997 when they drafted Tim Duncan. Given all the tape you two have watched on Victor <laughs> Wembenyama, the guaranteed number one pick in this year's draft, how good do you think he's going to be? I think he's going to be pretty good. Um... I didn't realize how tall he was. I mean, I knew he was a big guy, right? But the, the guy is, I mean, is he like eight foot two at this point? At least. Like, something yeah. like that? Yeah. He's, like, he's, yeah. He had another yeah. growth spurt like he is, over the weekend. He's eight feet he tall. He weighs like 115 pounds, but somehow it, it, in the all the tape I watched, he's towering over current NBA centers, height-wise. So I, I think he's going to be good. You got to like the idea of him going into a, an organization like San Antonio, like, all right, we're going to, we're going to coach this kid up too. So I like that. I think he's, it's a, it's a good situation for him. You know, they're, they're hyping him as the the best thing, even beyond LeBron James. I think people just short memories there, right? Like LeBron James was dominating the world of basketball as he was 16. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, obvious number one pick. It's been a while since we've had one of these come out in a draft. We're like, all right, this is, a LeBron James-esque pick. Like, you you just make it because this guy, that's his ceiling, right? I don't understand draft lotteries <laughs> because he should be a Piston, correct? He and, should be. You know, like, he should be playing for the Pistons. And I know you guys aren't big NHL guys, but the, the Anaheim Ducks got f***ed with a generational player, and he's going to Chicago instead of going to Anaheim, who had the worst record. Uh, nonetheless, it's a perfect situation this guy ends up in San Antonio. Uh, you're talking about uh, a big man, 
Uh, and they've had really good runs with with Tim Duncan, who went number one overall. And before that, David Robinson, who went number one overall. Uh, this guy's a different player than them, though, because he, he's got handles and he can shoot from anywhere. It's tough to say he's a generational player because, like, with LeBron, we knew he was generational because we were watching his high school games on ESPN. And maybe they were on ESPN at, like, 3.30 in the morning because the, the time zone difference. But I, everything says this guy is going to be the next greatest thing ever. But that's tough, right? I, I, to me, that, that's tough to say because, like, LeBron, you just knew. Like, you knew this guy's going to take over the league. This guy, he seems like it's where the NBA is going. Big dude who can shoot from anywhere, who can handle the ball, and is, other than he looks like he needs to eat a few sandwiches and put on some weight, like, I'll, I'll reserve. Everything's fine. Everything's great. <laughs> he is the number one. <laughs> he's going to be just fine. Yeah, he's the number one pick, hands down, but... um uh, could you ask for a better situation, I guess, than going to a, a proven franchise with a great coach for a young talent? He is absolutely the future. This is the way NBA players are going to start to be created. This is what Evan Mobley hopefully is. Big guy can handle the ball, can play defense, can shoot um, more like a a gigantic guard than your typical center or power forward. I think the tough part about this, and I think what people sometimes overlook with LeBron is it's a massive amount of pressure to be the next great one. And LeBron handled it beautifully for 20 years, with the exception of that one decision thing. Other than that, <laughs> LeBron James handled that yeah. pressure really well and lived up to it. And not everybody can, you know, so it's you never quite know how someone's going to react to being told that they're the next greatest thing. So we'll see. But he he certainly has all the tools to be uh, a marvelously effective and very, very good player in the NBA. Other than having a pick, could the lottery have gone any better for the Cavs? Division rival Detroit Pistons were tied for the best odds to get number one and ended up fifth. Three of the top five teams are in the Western Conference, not the East. Go Cavs, right? Yeah, it's never too early. Go Cavs. <laughs> absolutely best non-pick first round ever all right so let's move on to talking about the pick Cavs will have the 49th pick <laughs> in the second round of the nba draft yeah who do you have them taking on your draft board nikola Jokic's cousin or brother or someone because that's about where he got picked let's get that guy it's either a power forward from hofstra or some guy who's only been playing basketball, organized basketball for six months from somewhere in Africa. That's probably what that pick is. Well, I worked on my draft board a lot. And so I've come down to three possible choices. I want you guys to tell me who's the best. Amani Bates, a 6'8 wing who was like a top prospect, struggled at Memphis, transferred to Eastern Michigan. Tosan Evbauman, a Princeton power forward. Six eight facilitates and passes from different spots, or Adem Bona, UCLA six ten center, Pac twelve freshman of the year last year. Which of those guys do you want the most at forty nine? Man, uh, I like the sound of a six foot eight wing that can shoot the ball. So the first option sounded pretty good. That's what this Cavs need team needs. I they're going to probably pick the last guy you mentioned, and now we're just going to have a room full of six foot ten. Plus guys that, all right, who's scoring? Nobody. I think the last guy's name is the best because it's the one I remember. Adem Bona. Is that what you said? From UCLA? Bona. B-O-N-A. Close to yeah, Boner. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Bonus to Bones. <laughs> all 
All right. Well, we'll see whether the Cavs pick one of those three guys or whether or not every uh, mock draft for the second round that I read this week. (laughs) (laughs) Let's wrap up our basketball talk there. Let's talk a little bit of golf because we had another major wrap up this weekend. The middle child of golf majors, the PGA championship was played at a soggy Oak Hill outside of Rochester, New York this weekend. Mother nature won the early rounds delaying the first with frost and soaking the third round on Saturday. Live golf studs, Brooks Kepka and Chuck's best friend, Bryson DeChambeau, got booed when they played together on Saturday, but there seemed to be some media backlash to the booing. Are we past the controversy of live golf? Are these guys getting accepted back into the golfing fold? No. I don't know. You know, the live golf thing doesn't bother me, but I, I understand like the, the PGA folks, like they're, they're pissed off about it. I can't imagine this doesn't, ah, this is going to sound bad. This doesn't seem like the crowd of human beings that uh, are going to just let go of a grudge. <laughs> <laughs> Broad strokes. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. When a live guy wins a major, even if it's the stepchild of majors, you know, he's a like, he played well in the the Masters too. Like he's a really good golfer. Uh, overshadowed this week by you know a club pro, but still, yeah. um, I I don't know when there's a lot of money behind something and they ride it to the wheels fall off to make it work. It might work, but the only time you're going to see these guys is really at the majors. So when they perform that well, when when kept, I will not mention the other guy's name because I love him so much. But when you play that well. Um, in two majors, uh, and you're getting more exposure, less money, but more exposure than you were, uh, than you are on the other tour. It doesn't bother me. Like I'm happy that he won. He seems like a good dude. I watched him drink out of the Boninger or whatever the cup is. A Wanamaker. The Wanamaker. But it's a, it's a real problem for, you know, the hoity toities in the PGA that these guys are coming in and playing really well. I think live golf is going so poorly that the animosity is starting to wane a little bit. Time heals all wounds. Nobody is watching live golf. Nobody can tell you what their most recent tournament was or who won or who played well. Everybody, I think, likes to see these guys come out, at least the fans like to see these guys come out and play well. People love Brooks Kepka, and and why not? Like, he's fantastic. Maybe it's some of those hard feelings are starting to wane. On the actual course, Kepka battled Victor Hovland all the way till about the 16th hole in the final round when Hovland kind of let it get away. Kepka wins his fifth major title. Hovland has finished in the top 10 in the last three majors. Two more to go this year. Is he winning one of them? No, always the uh, bridesmaid, never the bride is how I'm going to say at least this year. He's playing really good golf, but no, I, I don't think he is. Well, just for fun, let's say yes. <laughs> sure. Um, I have no, I have no idea. I, how could I base yes or no on anything other than, you know what? He's a really damn good golfer. Um, he's going to be out there. They the all next- kind of are though, right? Yeah, yeah right. True. Yeah, we're talking about the top 10 finishers in, in majors. So yeah, why not? He's got a chance. Uh, victory for Victor. <laughs> I would say this. It's it's almost impossible in my mind to predict who's going to win a golf tournament. Yeah. But you look for the guys who are playing consistently well, and he is one of the most consistently strong players for the last year. He, he has won some of the other tournaments. He, he's playing well on the majors. 
that's a guy who kind of breaks through and does it. So we'll see. We'll see if Hovland is, I think he's Norwegian, like the first Norwegian ever to win a major or something like that, probably. That'll be historic. Anyway, why don't we close this up here? We'll take our final break. We'll come back off the field and talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field, and tonight we bring you the laziest way to podcast. <laughs> Welcome to another From the Land Grab Bag. We will start talking about cities in the U.S. Last week, U.S. News released its best places to live in the United States. Myrtle Beach no. was ranked 18th. Chuck, <laughs> anything you'd like to say to Myrtle Beach? 18th out of 18? Do they only do 18? Cleveland was like 97. Cities? So oh, no, it went up to like 150. Rock of shit. No, I, other than I spent five days there and those were the probably last five days I'll spend there. You may want to reconsider. I don't know. Anyway, Green Bay, Wisconsin was the number one overall city in the country. Cincinnati was the number one city in Ohio. Ann Arbor was number one in Michigan, where I live. Harrisburg was the best city to live in in Pennsylvania, where Chuck lives. How about that? No. No? No. So um, setting aside U.S. news and their rankings, what do you like best about the town where you live right now? Oh, the winners. I love the winners. <laughs> Actually, I don't mind the winners. I, I do. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay with, with winter. But uh, what I love about cleveland the best is that kind of sense that anything we get we we have to work for it, it's that kind of blue collar like all right we got to earn it nothing's going to come easy and i don't know if it's the the history in steel but that's how it's forged right like so the the harder you hit us you just keep forging us to become harder individuals and bring on the rest of the world i guess but i don't know i Cleveland has changed a ton in our lifetime. I've always loved Cleveland. I, you know, you're asking someone that was born and raised here, right? But uh, it's it's a place now that I, I mean, you, you look at different industries, you look at entertainment. Like we're we're not a mistake on the lake by any means. The mistake on the lake thing, I think, is a bad joke that people who have never been to Cleveland like to make. Uh, but it's certainly not the Cleveland that we've known most of our adult lives. Chuck, you live in Erie. What's the best part about the town where you live? It's a reasonably cheap place to raise a family. Property values, you can afford homes. Work hard, play hard city, a lot like Cleveland. Uh, also a lot like Cleveland or anywhere like where you live too, Gerb. Like you get pounded in the winter, but when the yep. weather breaks, you got three to four months. Get outside, get as much as you possibly can in, whether it's festivals or fairs or street concerts are here the peninsula and 12 beaches that's what i like most about it here it's 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 not a huge town uh but it's big enough you, you can raise your family here and and still kind of have that somewhat of an american dream where you can afford the home and school districts and all that kind of stuff i think what i like best about ludington michigan is how much there is going on in the summers like you said our winters are terrible we only get you know, three and a half months, maybe of good summer weather. And the town turns out for it. Everybody's out. Everybody's doing things. The beach is packed. The restaurants and bars are packed. You know, our town grows in population by like three times uh, in the summertime. And it just feels very celebratory. 
of the town and being outside and the good weather and the beach and stuff like that. It's a very, very good vibe all summer long in this town. I really enjoy that. All right, let's move on. Talk a little tech. A company named Humane has created a new AI wearable that will make the smartphone obsolete. Humane aims to displace cell phone screens with a voice-activated assistant that projects everything from calls to texts onto the user's hands. The projector promises to solve several issues with modern technology, including the need to constantly check the cell phone, the physical limitation of touchscreens, and limited accessibility. Do you anticipate that Humane will make you as obsessed with your hands as you were at 16? <laughs> I was going to say, how am I supposed to furiously masturbate if I'm getting texts on my It's going to really, really kill the mood yeah. when a dog text comes by because someone has passed away, right? Yes. Like, oh. Yeah. Like, in the middle of getting to enjoy myself and getting bombarded with texts. Um, yeah. I always say like, it's so hard for me to type into my supercomputer phone to find out useless information. So hopefully I can just do it with my hands. That'd be much better. Yeah. I'm not excited by this at, at all. Like I don't need, I don't need anything projected onto my hands. My hands are busy doing any number of things uh, at any given time. I, can you, can you silence this thing? Can you silence? I'm sure that'll be a feature. Yeah. yeah of it's gotta be yeah. right. Like it's gotta be. Like, all right, this is me time, me and my hands. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that putting the functionality of a smartphone into or onto our bodies is inevitable at some point in the future? Yeah, it seems like it's going that way, right? Like at some point, at some point, are we just going to have a chip implanted just below the skin somewhere that does everything we need and it projects it even maybe out in front of us, like you see in cars now where everything's projected out in, in you know, ahead of you. Uh, it seems like it's going that, that way. I've seen this movie before. It, it never really ends well. It, it doesn't go well for the human race, but uh, I, I does feel like we're going that way. Yeah. That's the next frontier. Inevitable that we can't be bothered to hold a phone or put yeah. it in our pocket in my pocket. <laughs> yes. Right. It can't be in our pocket. Um, it's an, it's inevitable that uh, either our phones will get smaller again uh, or they'll be obsolete and everything will just be a hologram that moves with you and delivers you information and texts and news or whatever. I think that you guys are probably right. I mean, it just, it just makes sense. That's the next, that's the next big thing is wait a minute. It's become too hard for me to carry my cell phone around. I'm getting sick of being chimed to constantly check my cell phone. So instead I'm going to constantly check my hand and this thing is going to be like in my brain or something like that. <laughs> like I have a feeling that's where it's going and people are going to think it's great. And I think this is probably a good time for me to become an old man and to say that, you know, I like it better back in the old days when I just had my iPhone um, that's, you know, getting to be almost as big as the original iPad now because I keep making these damn things bigger. Don't fit in my pocket. All right. On to food news. Taco Wars are heating up. Taco Bell filed a complaint with the U.S. Patent Office against Taco John's, a Wyoming-based taco shop that in 1989 trademarked successfully the phrase Taco Tuesday. So, legitimate complaint or just another example of Big Taco trying to dominate the taco market? 
There's a taco fall joke in there somewhere. Like okay. There can be. It's <laughs> yeah. all yours, buddy. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll leave that to you. It's trademark. Does that, does, is there a, does that run out in time? Like, is, like what happens there that 1989, they own it forever. No, I think you got to keep re-upping it, I suppose, yeah. but, and you got to so, keep defending it, which is the big thing, which means you got to so, go around to anybody trying to use Taco yes, Tuesday and shut reminds down. me, <laughs> right. This reminds me a bit of the flat trackers here in Cleveland, man. If you're not using it, it's ours. Now we're the bigger, we're the bigger team. We're moving in. We got more money. We got Taco Tuesday. Denko sides with Big Taco. How about you, yeah. Chuck? I'm I'm on both sides here because I love tacos and tacos are for the people. So Taco Tuesday should be for everyone. No one should own the phrase Taco Tuesday. However, this company in Wyoming had the foresight in 1989 to trademark it. And what they should do is have a bigger legal division than an actual service division and be suing every bar or restaurant who uses the phrase Taco Tuesday and probably have far more revenue generated from that than they do actually selling tacos on Tuesday. You're absolutely right. They shouldn't even need to sue anybody. We'll just license your company to use Taco Tuesday. You pay us a little bit of money and we'll be fine. You can use Taco Tuesday. We'll see how this goes. My feeling is in all things, that Taco Bell has got a ton of money. Taco Bell is actually part of the Yum brand, which sounds like something out of Parks and Recs. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's like Taco Bell, KFC, and some other just like horrible things to eat. I have a feeling they've got enough money that they're going to find a way to get this done. And basically, it's going to come down to like Taco Tuesday isn't something that can be trademarked because it's just kind of such a generic thing. It's just become so well-known and well-used that with no link at all to Taco John's in Wyoming, um, that this type of protection isn't legitimate, is not going to stick around. So I think that's probably it for uh, Taco John's and their Taco Tuesday monopoly. Moving on, let's talk a little TV. We love that. Did you know that HBO Max is going away tomorrow and that the new Max will take its place and probably cost you $4 more a month? Are you going to pay $4 or are you going to give up your HBO programming? Bill, well, are you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I just out you guys on uh, oh, national podcasting? <laughs> uh, no, I actually brought it up to Phil that I'm going to need those credentials again tomorrow once that takes place to sign back in because he's been such a gentleman about sharing with me. Sharing is caring. The issue I have with this is that you have a name that carries weight throughout generations in HBO and you're taking it away from Max. I'm sure there was some focus group that said Max was probably better than HBO, but maybe it's just because our, our demo, our age, like home box offices, uh, that, Absolutely. that the screen, the, the fuzz, that, that, that sonic ID that they've had since we were little kids exists in my brain forever. And now it's max. I don't understand that. Uh, but as it comes to subscribing, I just have to defer to uh, my co-host, Phil, and he will tell me if I'm still subscribing tomorrow. <laughs> Phil, you get demand $2 a month from Chuck. No, no, no. This is, I've got good Come news on. for you, Chuck. Um, my, my HBO max soon to be max subscription is like an automatic withdrawal from, I don't know where, like it, does it go to my checking <laughs> account? Does it come out of one of my Roku accounts? I don't, it, but it just every month it's going to continue to hit. And the programming is so good. Yeah. I'm going to pay another $4 a month to maintain my viewership to max or whatever they're going to call it. 
How else could we tell Shantz about the dragons? True. Remind me when we finish the show, I got something to tell you guys about that. I think what this shows, because I'm in, of course, to pay the $4. Um, I have no idea when I pay this bill uh, every month. And I'm like reverse Denko because I also pay for my parents to have an HBO Max subscription. I got them. I got that for my dad for like Christmas or something one year. I'm going to continue paying the money because I'm a sucker uh, and I love their shit. And I want to keep watching. I started rewatching The Wire like a week ago. Like, like I don't have enough stuff to watch, you know. Um, So yeah, HBO. I hope you don't listen to this because you know the (laughs) bottom line is um, you could charge me a lot more, and I'd still keep paying for that service. Uh, But as long as we're talking about robbery, why don't we move on to our community update? Looking around the local Cleveland area to find out what's going on. Which of these perps? do you think deserves the most severe punishment? First one, Hinkley, Ohio. A man was cited for domestic violence for throwing a beer can at his dad. First time a kid is charged just because his old man can't catch. (laughs) Next one, Brunswick, Ohio. A Detroit man was arrested for taking two aquarium heaters from a shelf at Meyer, then returning them to the same Meyer in exchange for a gift card that he used on smokes at the same mire. An Akron man was also involved in the devious plot. Next one, puppy scam in Lakewood. Victim reported sending a down payment on a puppy via electronic payment, but subsequently came to believe there was no puppy. The investigation continues. Last one, Medina. A store manager reported $90 worth of action figures stolen from his store. The suspect was identified, and the manager told police that he was willing to work with the suspect's mother to pay restitution, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) So, which perp deserves the most severe punishment? (laughs) Oh, God. Um, The most severe punishment? All right, so the guy that threw a beer can at his dad doesn't deserve any punishment, so he's off the list. Let's see. The guy... the it was a it was a two person job from a guy from Akron and a guy from Detroit who yep. tried to who tried to pull one over on the same Meyer store by stealing stuff from the store, bringing the stuff back to get a gift card to buy stuff from the store. Yes, yeah. If if you can weight punishment based on stupidity, that's my winner right there. Both guys <laughs> put them away for decades. Not like the last one because. <laughs> Who isn't trading sexual favors for action figures? Somebody's mother. Is there a Mr. Gump, Mrs. Gump? But I'm going to go with Phil here on the Myers thing, because if you're pulling a scam as old as that, why are you stealing aquarium heaters to score darts? Like you could, you could take anything in a Myers. I assume Myers is gigantic. There's none here in Erie, but you're, you're going for you're going for aquarium heaters just to score cartons of P-Funks. I don't understand that one. That's the dumbest one. You're both wrong. Obviously, it's a puppy scam. What kind of human being takes somebody's money with a promise of a puppy and then doesn't give them a puppy? That's awful. I hope well, there might be a puppy away. still, though. Yeah. It was, it was, no, I don't, I don't know. know. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it. I don't think that person's getting their puppy, and that sucks. All right, last one. A bartender in Cleveland Heights was assaulted trying to collect a $46 tab. He followed the guy out to his car in the parking lot. The guy grabbed the bartender's throat before getting in the car and leaving. The bartender held onto the car, which drove about 75 feet before oh, he let go. Suspect remains at large. 
How far would you be willing to go for $46 of your employer's money? Six inches across the bar as a former bartender across the bar to say, hey, here's your tab. And if that dude skedaddled, well, that's 46 bucks that the owner's not going to see. I'm not going out there. I'm not trying to hold on to somebody's car and get dragged 75 feet for 46 bucks. I wouldn't even move. I would go so far as to turn my head and possibly gaze in his direction so I could describe him to the authorities as a taller man who may or may not have been involved in prior crimes in the Northeast Ohio area. Yeah, that's this weird cross between Batman and stupid to try to do that. Um, <laughs> do not recommend it. Let the guy go. It's 46 bucks. Uh, there's got to be a better way. But fellas, that's going to wrap up our grab bag for the evening and our community update for the evening. Let's move on and talk some succession. The penultimate episode came out last night. There is only one week of succession left. Before last night, episode eight was election night. Shiv gets caught red-handed night. Connor gives the worst concession speech ever night. Kendall and Roman ruined democracy night. Last night was the long-awaited funeral of Logan Roy. What did you think of episode nine? It was really good. And, and since we're reviewing it a day after it's released, I've only watched it the one time. And it usually takes me a second watch to really kind of get a yeah. good feel for these, for these shows. Uh, but watching it just one time through, that show... It was heavy in areas that it would on purpose, right? Like it, you felt, you felt bad watching Roman fall apart when he was going into something where he was calling himself Roman, the showman. And it was anything, but right. Like it was this moment of humanity and you felt it. Like I, it was another moment in watching television where I felt like, all right, I feel how terrible this is. And I don't know that I've taken a breath until they take the camera off of Roman in, in that, in that scene. So that was very powerful. The whole episode though, a lot going on, right? Like the, the funeral is a big thing, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening with these characters in terms of where, where they're, where they're kind of aligning for this, this last, this last episode where, where it's all going to shake out. Um, they're all over the map and making their play while going through what may or may not be one of the worst days of their life. I, I found that very interesting too. Like a lot of truth about Logan Roy came yeah. out in the funeral. Everyone kind of went up there with the idea of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to balance this out by saying something good and nothing good came out. Nothing good came out. It was an excellent episode uh, and they did a great job leading up to it to make you think Roman is a real player here. The episode before, because Kendall couldn't make a decision where Roman just acted. However, you see right or wrong Roman fall apart at a terrible day when his father's funeral, but everybody was judging everyone in that audience or the church was judging him and you see his his claim to the throne is is non-existent at this point uh i love the fact that a, a secondary character like logan's brother gets to shine here and really shit all over him in a nice way and you see kendall pick up the pieces right yeah, yeah. like you see kendall pick up those pieces it's a, it's a just a, a wonderfully written episode again the acting is phenomenal uh, and you see everybody still maneuvering. That's the best part about this show. Uh, and now it's not just the kids maneuvering. It's the president-elect maneuvering. It's Madsen maneuvering. All these people maneuvering at a time where they should not be leading into now where I think you you, you think you have a, a grasp on who's going to take over this company uh, leading up to today. 
or tonight, last night's episode. But now going into to the finale, I have no clue where this lands. You know, the brothers are teaming up. You know, Shiv's on another side. Uh, but it could still just go just a, such a completely different way. Kendall, who I've said is probably the guy here, you see him doing everything to be his father, even taking on his father's personal security in this episode saying, you know, you're with me now, but has he earned it? I, I don't know. And that's why I have no clue. And that's the best part about this show. I have no clue how this ends. Um, and I'm looking forward to Sunday night on Phil's dime. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the extra four bucks. It was a great episode acting great again. I love the fact that they really captured that feeling that if, you know, we've all been to funerals before there is that mix of, you know, like horrible sadness that like somebody's gone, but there's also like, there's also humor around it too, whether you're talking about the person's life or you're, you're, it's almost like the graveyard humor that you have with your closest friends in those really like terrible moments. And it was there, it was there like when they were in the church and like their mom was coming in, it was definitely there at like the mausoleum. Like they were all cracking jokes there yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. I thought that was really great. Kendall had a great line about how he wasn't sure he wanted to stay there because he's like, I couldn't even finish a glass of scotch with him. You know, I'm not going to go like lay with him for eternity, you know, and his, this giant stupid mausoleum he had got a, got a good deal on, which I thought was funny. <laughs> Chuck, again, one step ahead of me, leading me right into my last question. I really think the battle is down from three to two, because I think this is the episode where the fork goes into Roman. He's done. I don't think there's any way he takes over. I really think it's Shiv on Madsen's side or Kendall on his own take it over. So who is your final prediction to take the crown? I hate that he plays such an integral piece to this whole puzzle, but but President-elect Mankin, Kendall really needs him to to blow up the deal. And I, I feel like that's not going to happen because he, he is certainly a a a weak, weak leader who's going to play both sides at Mankin, I'm talking about. And he's looking at what Shiv and, and Madsen is proposing, like, all right, this is a way for me to save face and still be involved, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I want to say Kendall, Kendall is positioning himself to just take it but how does he get around this deal if mankin doesn't blow it up or and and we only have i I know it's an extended episode i think it's like 90 minutes long but we only have one episode so they're not going to do like a recount of the election i'm pretty sure that storyline is passed even though it's still there right like they 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 aren't 100 sure that is the next president so if it goes the other way that changes the entire storyline so that'd be an interesting wrinkle but if I had a pick right now, I feel I'm leaning ever so slightly towards Kendall taking it. it, it it'd be an interesting way. You know, think all the way back to season one. That's where it started. The, the very first episode was him on his way to work, basically thinking like, I'm the heir apparent. I'm, I'm here to make moves. And here we are four seasons later, and maybe it ends there. I stay there, I guess, with Kendall, even though I think there's a swerve coming in a finale. He's positioned the best to do it he seems to have out of all the siblings the most experience to take it and he's they've done a nice job with him showing backhandedly that he's willing to destroy his siblings to get it you know he says it very quickly in these episodes uh in the last two weeks that he's ready for it uh he loves them but he doesn't love them like that he's more like his father than the other two 
However, Shiv to me seems to be playing the game better than any of them else. And it, it came out with the president stuff where President Rick already got what he wanted out of them. What is he? They have no leverage. Even they admit they have no leverage. And, and it seemed like the conversation went better with Matson and Shiv. But I still think Kendall makes the most sense here. And just because of that, it's not going to end up that maybe it's Greg. Maybe it's going to be Greg, <laughs> Greg. Just because they blamed him for, for his grandfather. <laughs> that yes. was great. That was hilarious. <laughs> they yeah. blamed him for it. Uh, but I think Kendall, they've done everything to show like in the past few weeks that he is the most ready for this. Uh, but I don't know who sits on that board. I know we've seen them over the last four seasons, but I can't remember. I know the guy in the wheelchair is probably on the board and. Uh, is his brother on the board? Is the is yeah. the brother on the board? Yeah. yeah. So, is, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who can blow this up who haven't had played a major part this season or last season. But if you're saying to me right now, just watching the last few weeks, Kendall seems to be the one moving in the right direction where the other two are not. I think it's going to be Shiv. She seems to be the best lined up right now. And I just don't believe that Kendall's character has developed so much from the first season when he was the heir apparent to now they're just going to like hand it over to him. I just don't see that happening. I, I would say it's shiver. It's nobody that maybe the way that succession ends is with none of these kids getting a shot and, you know, something else happens and Madsen just takes over and, you know, screws over shiv and whatever. But uh, right now, I think if it's, if it's Kendall or shiv, I think it's shiv. Although Kendall has he definitely gets the most improved award, I think, for this season. He's, you know, he's that guy uh, on the show. But we'll see, man. I cannot wait. I have a feeling we're recording next Monday night so that we can do the we can do the final right away because that's going to be that's going to be awesome. All right, little Ted Lasso, another great episode in the books. Tammy noticed that while we watch Ted Lasso. I get like a little cheesy smile on my face at all the feel good moments. So here's the episode 10, which was the cheesiest Gerber smile moment. First one, Jamie wearing Sam's number in his international friendly. Next one, Rebecca taking over the rich guy meeting. Next one, Nate's apology letter. Last one, Roy in the robe after his apology letter worked on Keely. They're all really great because where I thought a few weeks ago, this season can't wrap the series they've moved very quickly to do that and a lot of conflict is is starting to resolve itself i like rebecca voicing up in that meeting with you know like it's a real scenario that a woman doesn't belong in that old man guard thing and and she does a really great job in it uh where you finally see her in power not only with all those dudes but with her ex-husband uh when she thwarts the advance of him trying to kiss her so uh, that's probably where i think you have the cheesiest smile because <laughs> you go girl like she got it she finally did it i do love girl power you're 100 percent right <laughs> well i i think we're all big fans of girl power on this podcast we've we've explained that over over the series so far and and that's great but i've known you a long time girls and uh i think I think your cheesiest smile came as Roy Kent came walking down the stairs with the robe on and you're just waiting for the freshman to start playing in the background. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, here it is. This is my moment. So that's my choice. You're absolutely right. Great yeah, Roy episode all around. Um, I thought that was, that was great. I'm very glad that those two got together. I did not want Keely and Roy not to be together at the end of this series. So I think Chuck is right. We're kind of wrapping things up and that was that was something that needed to be wrapped up. Only two episodes to go. 
Um, so there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to in Ted Lasso too. There's still a lot more to happen, but fellas, we are again, like way out of time. <laughs> I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that Robert De Niro and his girlfriend announced the birth of their new baby last week with that news that only the 79 year old De Niro thinks Chuck was too young to start having kids in his forties. <laughs> I hope you guys have a great week and let's get together and do this again real soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't think that wasn't brought up in my household either. <laughs> Off the field, we re- <clears throat> off the field we revisit an old friend. <clears throat> Are we past the controversy of Liz? <clears throat> A store manager reported ninety dollars worth of action figure. <clears throat> <clears throat> Take me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Much younger man. (laughs) What are you complaining about, Chuck? De Niro's 79 and he gets up. (laughs) He doesn't need sleep. That's exactly what it sounds like. Perfect. Everyone's wearing diapers in that house. (laughs) I think it's hilarious that he has a a child that's 51. And he just had a baby. Like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. That's... um, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is not how humanity should work. No. No matter how wealthy you are. No. Yeah. 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 How about uh the the Roy the Roy Jamie scenes in this episode? Like when he went to Uncle's Day? Yeah, that's crazy. Jamie yeah. got him the jersey with cunt. It? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and he, yeah, he loved it. He's like, I love it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, all around a good. I think it's really interesting that um, it almost feels like for the last two episodes that Ted hasn't been like the main character. Yeah, yeah. It's like they've almost kind of put him on the side. And I wonder if that's we're going to wrap up all this side stuff, and then these last two episodes are going to be like all like soccer and Ted or something like that. Um, You notice like the beginning's coming back, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You you had mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Like that's the way they could wrap this up, right? And um. You, you notice like the beginning of every episode, they, they hit the fast forward button real quick. Like in the, in the opening few minutes, they catch you up like through the news or whatever. That's how we found out Nate yeah. quit or Bobby yeah. would quit, but yeah. you know, all that stuff. And Richmond's on a 10 game win streak and blah, blah, blah. They just catch you up to what's happening right then. And so now I do feel like they could easily move this to, this is it. They could wrap this, this series in, in two episodes yeah. with Nate taking over Ted going back to the U S you know, yeah. Um. Yeah, I didn't expect to see Edwin Akufu back though. That was uh, yeah, me neither. Yeah. He's great. Though. He is so good. That guy He's is so that, great, man. That that actor is absolutely fantastic. I don't even know what yeah. the dude's name is. He's hilarious. Yeah. I you thought it was a little bit much, yeah. like the throwing oh, all yeah. the food around at the end. Like, all right. <laughs> um, some ridiculous percent in the first two months of the year. Like across baseball, all your closers yeah. are blowing saves. Add two seconds. Maybe it makes a difference. I think people love it so much 
that they ain't they ain't gonna mess. Yeah, that's with pretty it. great. Like <laughs> if they're gonna do anything, they're gonna shorten yeah. it. No, let's make it ten seconds. <laughs> you gotta run from the dugout, just like no. a little kid. You gotta run from the dugout to the plate, it's get set, great. and start hitting. From, from our perspective, like it was on right Sunday night baseball. Like I can remember, like trying to put years ago, trying to put on Sports Center, and Sunday night baseball was still on still at like eleven forty five. Yep. Like they're trying, they're yeah. trying to fill to get to Sports Center. So that's my point. Two hours and fifty. Like tweak it by two seconds. I don't mind the pitch clock, but so there's games. Guardians. The games are never getting longer, Denko. They're never oh, going to get man. longer. They're going to keep finding I'm ways to make I'm on the side of the advertisers here, man. Like I, I feel like two hours and six minutes is too short. Like that's not. Like I'm not, that's not baseball to me anymore. Like, it, like the, there's something missing now. Like it doesn't have to be three hours. How about two and a half hours? You know, well, I th- aren't, aren't, aren't most of the games something between like two fifteen and two twenty. I think the average like I mean, that's, is right around there. The, the guardians, yeah. cause they can't hit for shit. Like their innings over. Ooh. Right. Our yeah. games are going, our innings fast. are over yeah. in 45 seconds. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, all right. Um, <laughs> Like what was it? Last night's game was two hours and six minutes. Now it was a pitcher's duel. It was a hell of a pitcher's duel. Uh, but still, you just see the shot that Jokic yeah. just hit. Yeah. Crazy. Oh my gosh! With the clock winding Crazy. down, that that's unreal. And Lakers hit a nice oh, three. LeBron, don't shoot it. You haven't made one of these. No, I think I'm a little ahead like of a half you. an hour. It's the they hit yeah, us I'm at uh, two o one. Yep, I'm at. Oh yeah, geez, I'm at two thirty. Oh no, I'm oh. at two two o. What's what's happening in the future, guys? Uh, uh, they're showing that Jokic shot again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the NFL owners okayed flex scheduling for late season Thursday night games, which means like you could have tickets to a game on Sunday and those would be like, fuck you, you're playing yeah. Thursday night yeah. instead. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's pretty rough, right? In NFL so shitty. Yeah. So wait, how are they? So they're gonna they're gonna because the Thursday night is technically the first game of that week, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because Thursday night's the first game, Monday night's the last game. So the people, yeah, like the people scheduled to play Thursday that get booted to Sunday, they just get extra prep time. But it's the other way around. You're like completely yeah. screwed, right? <laughs> yeah. What if they don't tell you till Sunday? Oh, hey, by the yeah. way, you guys hey, got to play, play Thursday in four days. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry Go get in the that. ice bath, guys. <laughs> Carmelo's ninth all time. Ninth all time. Yeah. Wow. I thought he was crazy, up there, yeah. man. Yeah. That's really I wouldn't high. have thought oh, that high. No, I would not have either. That's really, that's really up there. He was a scoring machine for a long yeah. time. He just never could do anything yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. He was on those early Nuggets teams. Mm-hmm. That would get bounced early, early rounds all the yeah. time. Last guy to get in on marrying an MTV personality before it was lame, too. Wasn't a late, late in Lala, Iverson's. Right? She was yeah. super hot. Yeah. I don't late in I- Iverson's career. Didn't Iverson end up in Denver with yeah, a young he Carmella? Did. Yeah. He did. I don't remember that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think he played there for like a season. And then he was done. He went from being awesome. To yeah. being on the Nuggets and to being done in like a two-year period. Yeah. He was so good, though. Man. Yeah. I loved Iverson. Yeah. I remember watching him in college. Not enough to name uh, my kid after him, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Chuck and I were talking before the before you got on, Phil, about who is a worse dad, Logan or Kendall. 
and naming his kid <laughs> Iverson might be a reason why Kendall's worse. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm looking for wine on Saturday night at the corner store because Tammy and I are going to dinner. And she's like, hey, um, we're going to a friend's house for dinner. She says, hey, grab um, a bottle of Cab, like a red wine, to take with us to dinner. I'm like, all right, because she's running the store on Saturday. So I you know, go down there, and I'm looking through the cabs. And at the bottom is a House of the Dragon Cabernet and a House of the Dragon red blend. Uh, and I thought immediately, I hope I get chance for next year's <laughs> gift exchange. I'm going to send him a bottle of House of the Dragon cab. But next Monday on Memorial Day, I mean, that's we could treat it like a Sunday night almost, right? Like, all right. Yeah, that's true. I don't even think that's yeah. a holiday. Yeah. Yeah, I won't have a game that monday night and i think the way it'll work yeah, out let's probably plan have... it and it'll be um it'll probably be the whole off the field segment will be succession um and yeah. then uh we'll do a little lasso and then the next week the whole off be the field lasso. segment will be lasso um and then winning time better come back is what the hell we're gonna exactly <laughs> winning time. yeah seriously they had to have that one written already Come on. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's almost one, but I'm no, not going to let not. this go on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to let this go on. till one. it's a school night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, fellas. Hey, this was right, great. Yeah. This was All great. Right. A lot of fun as always. Um, be good. Be well. All right, Love guys. You guys. Love you, boys. Love you, Love you brothers. Take Bye. care. Good night. Funny. Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?